Welcome to our webinar covering the five predictions for e-commerce marketers in 2023. I'm Vern Trimble, and we're joined today by Richard Jones, CRO of Wonderkin. Hey there, hey, Richard. Doing? How you doing? Good, mate. Good. Excellent. And uh, Meg. Oh, oh yeah, and you, like, I can't see a thing with these glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> this is harder than I thought. <laughs> yeah, you got to put it close to your mouth yeah. so we can actually hear you, Richard. Yeah, I, I couldn't actually even see the microphone. So <laughs> it's you okay. <laughs> you may be wondering why, Richard, we'll, we'll tell you in just a minute why he has these on. And of course, Megan Krasinski, our resident expert and senior director of product marketing. Thank you for joining us, Megan. Of course, happy to be here. How are you guys both doing today? I am doing great. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for predictions. Excellent, excellent. So there are a lot of interesting that interesting things that are happening right now in the economy, with marketers, with people and consumers. And today we want to ease the concerns mm -hmm. of a lot of marketers by giving them our predictions of what's happening out there to help them with their strategies for 2023 and beyond. Sound good? Sound good. I Excellent. love easing concerns, Bird. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we hope that you guys are interested in learning about some of the things that we have offered offer today. If not, you wouldn't be here. So to set the stage, you may be asking yourself why we're wearing these goofy glasses and why we're surrounded by uh, a few cardboard cutouts. Well, what I've heard, the word on the street, is that artificial intelligence will be replacing us Hmm. In the workforce. Uh -oh. We're going to lose our jobs, apparently. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. Why didn't you ask them to come on this webinar? Well, you know, <laughs> in proxy, we bought a few of our AI friends who are in the background that are kind of representative of the, the artificial intelligence out there that will be or has replaced us, so they say. But I think there's a really big opportunity out there. And I think a part of the conversation today, along with all of the five predictions that we're going to talk about, will be around artificial intelligence because it's a really hot topic. It is definitely a hot topic. There is such a blizzard about it on the internet. Did you know, I heard, this is crazy, that um, uh, Oreos have actually created an artificially intelligent uh, biscuit. Tell me how that works. It is one smart cookie. <laughs> All right, enough of that. <laughs> so that I think you, it's a good transition. I think so. That's what you're, you're going to get a little bit of that today. I hope you don't mind. We will provide a lot of value, but we're also going to, I mean, we're going to have fun. Yeah. Why not? Um, we're going to cover how generative AI will change the course of digital marketing. Mm. I think that's very important. Agreed. We're going to discuss how winners and losers will emerge in a recession with tighter budgets meant to deliver increasing revenue demands. We're going to talk about what big tech's downfall means for marketers as they assess their digital marketing spend. We're going to chat about how to become discoverable in an oversaturated marketplace. And then finally, we're going to talk about the top takeaways from this year's holiday season and what it means for the year ahead. Love it. Sound good? Sounds great. And then we'll have some time for some questions at the end. So if you have any, please feel free to leave your questions in the chat. We'll be sure to get to them. Awesome. So let's start. Prediction number one. AI and digital marketing. Um, if it's cool, perhaps before I ask you guys the question, maybe we ask Chat GTP yes. the question first. How does how does that sound? Let's do it. Uh, but before we do that, do, does, do you think everyone understands what's going on with Chat GTP right now? Probably not. Well, let, let's, Shall let's I give you a little bit of a, a background. So, us, Richard. Yes. Does anyone know what GPT stands for? I actually don't. Generative pre-trained transformer. I forgot the T. <laughs> and I tried hard before this webinar to have it scripted. We get effort. <laughs> now, it's actually built on OpenAI's ChatGPT 3.5, which is an upgraded version of ChatGPT 3. Um, and it's actually an auto-regressive language model that uses deep learning to generate human-like text. Now, it's only been trained 
on the internet up to 2021. So it's not totally up to date. Uh, but the primary techniques of the deep learning uh, used by the model included supervised learning and reinforcement learning from human feedback. And it uses previously entered responses from the user to actually generate its next reply. So in simple words, the information provided by ChatGPT is clear mm -hmm. and it's easy to understand. And you can use it to generate ideas from scratch. I mean, it can help you to do anything from developing business strategies to providing you with you know, recipes or helping you with gift suggestions or writing blogs or even writing code uh, or finding bugs in code uh, and explaining the errors. So it's a very, very powerful tool. That's that's pretty incredible. In fact, I'm, I'm going to type, I'm going to ask ChatGTP first before we hear from our <laughs> resident expert what they feel. I'm going to ask, if you don't mind, hold, give me one second. How will generative AI change the course of digital marketing? It says, generative AI has the potential to revolutionize digital marketing by allowing for the creation of more personalized, targeted content. It can analyze customer data, such as past purchases, search history, and other behavioral, var behavioral variables, tongue-tied, to generate content <laughs> tailored to each individual customer. Hmm. That sounds pretty clever. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll get my coat. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like it's, it did have a tongue twister, though. I know. So it, it has me. its flaws. It does. It tripped me up. <laughs> what, same question, Megan. What do you think? Uh, well, um, I don't know if you can see because I wore a fancy blazer, but I am wearing a Rage Against the Machine <laughs> just to joke around, primarily because Richard and I definitely have some healthy debate conversations <laughs> about chat GBT, which I think is good. I think yes. it wouldn't be an authentic webinar if we didn't have that. But um, whenever tech is in a hype cycle, um, I'm a natural skeptic, right? We have things recently like Web3, the metaverse, NFTs, uh, crypto, which haven't really come to fruition. But that being said, ChatGPT, I am game for. I think it's a super powerful technology. In fact, it just released at the end of last year, I think mm -hmm. November 30th, December. I'm trying to remember the ac actual release date. And if by December 3rd, you weren't talking to your friends about it, you were completely out of the loop, right? right. Like it, it passed a million users in, in five, five days, days which is by far and away the quickest technology to ever reach that milestone. I, I, I completely agree. And when I think about hype cycle technologies, really, there hasn't been something that has been as engaging with mainstream media and consumers probably since the iPhone, I think, mm -hmm. where people were so engaged with the technology. So I think there's going to be a lot of powerful things that mm -hmm. come out of ChatGPT. But look, just in nature of me always um, being a bit of a skeptic, I think there are standards that ChatGPT does need to figure out, right? Sure. There has been some conversations lately related to education and plagiarism, right? Vern, mm -hmm. you and I were talking before this L webinar. Yes, we were. Like, what? Yeah. Our research papers? <laughs> Out of, like, all the hours studying and researching those papers. I would have been an honor student if I had ChatGPT. <laughs> what are you talking today. about? You were an honor student. I know, but yeah. you know, like, whatever. I would have been an, a stellar student. <laughs> um, but no, there's things related to plagiarism. There's things related to copyright infringement. Yes. There's even lawsuits happening right now with artists. I think there will be interesting things in terms of 
revenue streams, right? Like today, Google is such a big revenue stream for everyone, right. for brands, for everyone that we work with. Today, ChatGPT gives you an answer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, where do I go to buy the best blazer? It's going to give me a recommendation where I think there is some nicety to choice, right? Yeah. Human beings are people that I think it's nice to have optionality. So I'm, I'm behind it. I think it will be interesting, but there is a sense of kind of censorship that's, so that's really, that I'm so, a little scared of. So, so I, think, <laughs> I think the Google point is very, very interesting because there's many uh, experts out there that are saying that this is a significant risk for yes. Google search. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, Google themselves uh, have issued a code red internally at Google, which is basically like panic stations. Yeah. Uh, ChatGPT is a, you know, it is a serious, serious threat to significant revenue base yeah. uh, at Google. And I, and I you know, 100% agree. I mean, it, when I first got on to, to ChatGPT and I started exploring what I could do with it, yeah. you kind of realize when you go back to Google search, how profoundly dumb yeah. Google search is in comparison to something like ChatGPT, Indeed. where you can actually, with the follow-on prompts, actually get something that is very, very tailored mm -hmm. to you. Where, you know, uh, where's the best places I can shop, you know, in this town uh, between five and six that's close to you know, my favorite coffee uh, shop, you know, that uh, has discounts on at the moment. You know, yeah. It's that kind of crazy specificity yeah. that you can get to from ChatGPT. Totally. But I have to echo on what you just said with the follow-up prompts. I think an interesting way of thinking about ChatGPT is... It, <laughs> like old school development, it's a command line. Yes, right? it is. Yeah, you ask it a question, it gives mm. you a response. I was listening to a podcast the other day that talked about in the future, there will probably be engineer prompts, yeah. right? Mm -hmm, like yeah. positions that are created around engineers who just know how to prompt yes. this type of AI. Because I think, which is probably what our original question was before I went down a spiral <laughs> of okay. how I, I feel about yeah. ChatGBT is I think there's multiple ways for marketers and businesses to think about ChatGBT. Yeah. And I, I think it's two schools of thought, which bear with me. Um, one, lack of a better word, I think there will be laziness, right? Mm -hmm. You could ask ChatGBT, especially from like a marketing purview, um, write me a blog on X right. and it will spit it out there will be some people that will copy that verbatim. And yeah. I think that's going to create a world where we're so overly saturated with the same type of content, right? Yes. And for people like us that create very unique content, I think it's going to be really hard for certain marketers to make their content stand out. Right. On the flip side, which Richard, you and I have talked about a lot, I think there's there's a lazy approach, but there's there's also the strategic approach. Who are going to be the people that know their day-to-day -day tasks that are very mundane in your life, right? There are some blog writing posts that might be mundane, but like you could take that to a next level where let me try to automate the things that take up a, a lot of time today, mm -hmm. but use chat GBT in a much more strategic way. Totally. And I think that's where there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities for marketers because marketers kind of get caught up in the hype and the content. But if you really think about how marketing started, it was around data and mm -hmm. analysis. Yeah. And that's what ChatGPT is. It's Absolutely. A, a ton of data points. I know right? currently we're running some tests around SEO with yeah. ChatGPT. 
which is a phenomenal use case. And SEO is tough. Yeah, it is tough. But it should preclude you from the actual marketers that actually do the work to use the tool yeah. in such a way to show creativity. Not. So it's the domain expertise mm -hmm. of the person that's issuing the prompts yes. and reviewing the answers and refining it that will define how useful or how powerful ChatGPT is. So I look at it as really a personal productivity assistant I love that. for people to be able to create things yeah. at a faster speed and throughput mm -hmm. than they would have been uh, able to on their own. And I'll, I'm going to give you one quick story to illustrate the power of this. So uh, a friend of mine uh, has uh, been you know, working very, very hard, struggling quite often uh, with a company that he's built, which basically does um, uh, artwork, bespoke artwork and uh, interior design mm -hmm. for super yachts and essentially billionaires' homes. Um, and it sounds more glamorous than it is. Yeah. Sounds really you, glamorous. You, you've, <laughs> you've, got some, number. <laughs> you've got some very, very powerful clients and, you know, you, you, yeah. you, 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 it's a very stressful, you know, very, very stressful job. Um, and he's got to the point where he's like, look, I need to, I can't do this forever. I need to now yeah. look to sell the company and I need to like, level up my marketing and I need to, to, to put the company out there for, for sale. And he was telling me about this. I said, have you ever, and he was also telling me about it. Yeah, he has to do everything himself and uh, so resource, lack of resources. So I said, have you ever heard of ChatGPT? No. Right. Come, come with me. Mm. Went on ChatGPT and I said, right, could you write me prompts, you know, a few different prompts, but just basically said, write me a series of marketing emails, write me some blog uh, content, write me some content for the website, described his business, refined basically who the target audience was so it got better, mm -hmm. showed him that. He was blown away. I then asked it to write an M&A pitch oh, wow. yeah, for <laughs> his business, okay. defined the audience that he was actually selling to, and actually it wrote a very, very good M&A pitch proposal for his company mm -hmm. he stood up he was almost in tears he hugged me and he was like this is going to change my world mm -hmm. and i think there wow. is a certain size of business that have very you know that don't have the resources that larger businesses have that this could be incredibly transformational i think that's phenomenal and we also know that now if we want a hug from you <laughs> we can prompt you to do it's a really helpful webinar. It really is. Yeah. It's going to help us a lot. All right, moving on to the next question. <laughs> I, I want to call out that we actually have a future webinar coming up really, really soon. Uh, it's called the AI Evolution, Harnessing the Power of, our, of AI for Positive, Commercial, Creative, and Social Change. I'll be sitting down with co-founder of Create Labs, Abron Maldonado. It's an absolutely phenomenal conversation that we're going to have. I think you don't want to miss that, so make sure you stay tuned. Uh, that's going to happen Wednesday, March 8th at 12 p.m. So we're going to make sure that you all have, have the link. The link should be in the description uh, below. But before we wrap up this section, I want to talk about predictions. What do you predict as far as the future of AI and how it applies to marketers and their jobs? I'm going to make my prediction, and I'm going to focus it on ChatGPT because I do look at when with this question around AI, there was the world before ChatGPT and then there's the world after. I think many of us have had really um, a, a bit of a revelation in terms of the speed with which this is developing. So based on the current um, levels of adoption of ChatGPT, sometime around Q3, perhaps early Q4, um, it will reach 1 billion users. Mm. 1 billion wow. uh, users. So I, I think this is probably the most transformational bit of technology arguably since um, the birth of the internet. And I think really, um, you know, in terms of what is the prediction, AI isn't going back to your original point. It's not yeah. going to replace your job. 
yeah. but somebody that leverages AI yeah. to perform your job better than you is going to replace you. Yeah. So that's my prediction. That's good. I love that. Thank you, Rich. That's really good. Really good. Love that. What do you think? Um, so I'm going to probably talk about this a little bit more as it pertains to Wonderkin and companies like us, but I do want to reflect on something Richard said. I think <laughs> the crazy thing about ChatGBT is the growth. So mm. they're predicting by the middle of this year, they're going to release release the next iteration, which is GBT4. Mm -hmm. And um, Allie Miller, who's the former head of uh, machine learning at AWS, said uh, chat GBT is like walking a mile. Chat GBT4 mm. is like walking 22 marathons. Oh, wow. So we're not talking like this is a normal release, like do yeah. I decide between the iPhone 14 and iTeam 14 Pro, right? Yeah. Where like I'm always going to pick the Pro, but like my husband who's less tech inclined, like, oh, give me the cheaper 14, right? Yeah. Like oh this God. is gonna, <laughs> totally, this is going to be like crazy in terms of what this machine can actually do. So I've been thinking a lot about like, what does this mean for companies like Wonderkin? And when I think about our business, like, as you guys know, we're built on like a decade plus of consumer insights, best practices in e-commerce and user behavior. And I think that's going to be really valuable mm -hmm. to open AI. And I think it's going to bridge a really cool opportunity that potentially maybe there's a world in where we have an API where we can feed our proprietary data into machines like this, that means that we can do what we do as a business better, right? right? Mm -hmm. We're going to serve better experiences for our brands. We're going to have better personalized messages for our consumers. We're going to put together um, more thoughtful campaigns for our customers. I, I, I just think like the next phase of this technology is going to be really meaningful for businesses like us that have the kind of data that chat gbt wants, wants. Yeah. they want it right so i'm really excited to see that unfold i think it's gonna op open a lot of opportunities for businesses like us and for the brands that we work with yeah that's phenomenal that's phenomenal <laughs> i think this is really good we could talk about this literally all day this could be the entire oh, web the webinar it's a part of it it's one fifth of the webinar we have five predictions so that one more to go we have more to go let's cool. jump let's keep moving forward this is phenomenal okay. i want to talk about driving revenue during a recession. And the question that I have for you both is, ultimately, how will winners emerge in a recession considering tighter budgets and increased revenue demands? Ultimately, how are you seeing brands changing their marketing and budget spends? You want me to kick off? Please do. Okay. So I think there were a lot of lessons from 2008. There's probably a lot of lessons from recessions passed, mm -hmm. but a lot of what we saw in 2008 was that brands that continued to invest, whether it was in advertising or any other forms of marketing channels, outperformed those who didn't. Um, so if the evidence indicates that brands do more harm than good, like then shrinking marketing efforts during an economic downturn, 
downturn, like why does this keep happening? Like yeah. brands really should continue to invest in marketing budgets. But um, I think reflecting on 2008, uh, a little bit of a brag here is I was still in college <laughs> during that recession. We were still in college. We were still in college. So, so I this is my fifth recession. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh. They must have been back to back. <laughs> no, no. We're trying to clean it up a little thing back to 1897. <laughs> a great year. Yeah. No. But I do remember the pains of my friends and entering the workforce. And I was and I was nervous for myself. Like I need to have a job. I need to pay back like yeah. all my student loans. So I definitely want your perspective on this topic, Richard, since you lived through all these uh recessions. But I think at the end of the day, um, as consumers' wallets get tighter, right, naturally, and there becomes less of an addressable market, like you're seeing the pain of this recession already today, which means people are going to be less inclined to shop. I think marketers really need to be nimble. And I was going to say the cool thing. This is not a cool thing. But I think the great thing about marketers is they were forced to be nimble over the past right. three years exactly. when we were thrown a global pandemic and they had marketing strategies in place and were like, great, now what do I do? I need to appeal to an audience that's now at home. I need to pivot to digital. I need to be more representative of community. Um, so I, I think what it's really going to come down to is a lot of – brands will need to pivot their messaging to focus on these customer needs. Mm -hmm. um, they'll need to hear their feedback, look into their attitudes and behaviors. And something I always like to say is uh, prepare for the worst yeah. and hope for the best. For the best. And yeah. I think marketers can really do a good job at this time of like testing their channel mix, reallocating their budget. Really, mm -hmm. flexibility is key, but... Um, you know, this is someone from no experience, so Richard. Plenty of, plenty of experience. Richard, same, same color question. My extensive as experience yes. of recessions yeah. uh, in Tell the, us. the first 50 years of my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there is a, a, a real truism when it comes to recessions yeah. that catches out a lot of companies. And you can see that time and time again, every time there's an economic contraction. Yeah. You are in a recession before you realize you're in a recession. Mm. We're in and a recession. you are coming out of a recession before you know you're coming out of recession. So there is all the, always this catch up that we're having to, to sort of to do as marketers, as businesses. And I think one of the problems you have is that if you kind of have too much of a knee jerk reaction to the huge amount of bad news that, you know, with all the people that are trying to um, scare us into selling our stock so they can buy it cheap and the rest of you, if you react to that bad news too much, <laughs> you, you can be reacting at the wrong time. You can be right. out of sync with actually the real timing mm -hmm of what's going on. I mean, I, and, and the, it is also definitely true that if, if you have the ability to survive through a recession, if you're not, you know, on the edge financially, yeah. um, that 1%, you know, shift between a market share between you and a competitor, that is massive. Because yeah. if you do that in a recession, when you're coming out the other side into this, an economic growth, that 1% of, of market share in a recession is much more. How do you uh, navigate that? Sorry? How do you navigate that? 
how do you navigate it? You go hard at a recession. You try and win as much market yeah. share as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. You spend as much as you can possibly afford. It is the time to mm -hmm. battle your competitors. That is what a recession oh. really is all about. Oh, I love that. Agreed. And we say this in the predictions report, but in a recession, more is more. And sometimes it costs less to keep customers during the bad times than trying to win them back as the economy recovers. So, yeah, I think we also have to we also have to think about it from a from an e-commerce perspective. Obviously, that's where we play, um, and you know our customers play. And you know, thinking through what happens to e-commerce in this particular recession, I think is very very interesting because. Based on the consumer research, some consumer research we just uh, ran, um, over 50% of consumers in the US and the UK are planning to cut back on spending on non-essential goods this year. It's 52% in the US, 64% in the UK. Mm -hmm. But in response to this cost of living crisis and recession, also the same consumers, 47%, said they would do more shopping online. And actually eMarketer um, is saying that the e-commerce spending is expected to reach 36 billion in 2023, wow. which is a 20% projected increase from 2022. So in that environment, you kind of look at it and go, would cutting back significantly on your spend to attract yeah. uh, e-commerce revenue and e-commerce customers, would it make sense? And the answer is no. Yeah, that's what, wow. And I think it's a great point to make, if AI is where we'll play, this strategy is how we'll win. Right, right. which I love. I, I think that's phenomenal. Just to sum up this section, because I think you guys have offered a lot of really great insight, I want to just get real quick takes on your predictions. Simple, straightforward, what do you predict? So, I mean, the one thing that we haven't said about winning in a recession, one I would say is be bold. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we see that time and time again with companies that can be bold in a recession and go out, win market share, tend to do very, very well. But you also don't want to, you know, miss the opportunity mm -hmm. to, to become more efficient at actually what you do. I mean, the average cost for a retail lead is $34. Um, and with ad spend on the rise, because digital ad spend, retail marketers uh, are paying more for each lead. So mm -hmm. thinking through, yep. how do you optimize your customer acquisition strategies to be as efficient as possible? And how do you focus on customer lifetime value mm -hmm. to get the most you can in terms of share of wallet from your customers is gonna be very, very important. I love it, a big time efficiency play. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. There was there was also another stat from eMarketer that said 89% of CMOs plan on increasing their budget. Right. And mm -hmm. a lot of it was, like Richard said, related to efficiency. And particularly they talked about investing in things like managed services, right? Because they need their core people to focus on what they do best, mm -hmm. and then they can outsource items that, you know, they could potentially do out of house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of marketers are now feeling the effects of the economy. I think marketing teams are generally short staffed, but they're mm -hmm. feeling the pains a bit more. So how can you work with particular vendors to help you compensate in those areas that you are feeling the pain. And I think managed services are a really great way for marketers to continue doing what they do really well. Um, in fact, even at Wonderkind, um, we are a SaaS product, but we are a managed service for our mm -hmm. client, right? We alleviate a lot of the heavy lifting for our brands by managing um, first-party campaign tactics through our triggered email and SMS 
solution. So I think partnering with the right folks, allocating your budget in ways that make sense. But and, and I would also say looking at stripping out costs and vendors that can't clearly articulate and show yeah. you their ability to influence your revenue in that recession. That's that's going to be key. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the digital, the Martech landscape, I think there's ten thousand vendors mm-hmm. in the market, and I and growing. and growing, and we're one of them, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> we are a piece of that puzzle. Yeah. But I do think it is hard for marketers where you know you need to have your core Martech stack, but you honestly, in these kind of turbulent times, want to rely on the venue. Uh, the vendors that will have you maximize your return Absolutely. and or guaranteeing revenue or guaranteeing it which i was which gonna we, get to but mm-hmm. richard beat me to the punchline <laughs> it's almost as if <laughs> he's a marketer or is, or is he ai i don't know honestly I'm i've a, been questioning that this entire I'm an artificially <laughs> intelligent audio uh, i think you mean biscuit <laughs> <laughs> but you know what this is it's a perfect segue when we talk about technology and, and the evolution and the evolving uh, evolving technology, especially MarTech, I want to ask the third prediction, which focuses around big tech changes and social commerce. Mm-hmm. I want to know, what does big tech's downfall mean for marketers as they assess their digital marketing spend? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's yeah. some of this technology is going the way of the dinosaurs. It's not working. If you're not guaranteeing anything, then what are you doing? Yeah. I, I can start Go if you it. want. Yeah. yeah. So I. Well, we could have met Mark. Okay. Well, I was going to start talking about Meta. So yeah. maybe Mark should have a seat at this nice table with us. So look, Meta's stock fell 65% year over year last year. Um, but despite its challenges, despite third party cookie deprecation, that is happening, right? Mm-hmm. It's happening 2024, according to Google. And Facebook losing their ability to track across sites. At the end of the day, consumers are still going to social sites, right? right. Like I'm still still spending time on social sites. I do not use Facebook, but um, I do spend time on social sites. So I spend way too much time on TikTok. That algorithm is so, incredible. It's so good. Yeah. So I do think for marketers, investment yeah. in this space still makes sense. I think it will just be a challenge to get the right ad in front of the right person, um, which is pretty cool because at Wonderkin, we do have an ad solution where we serve ads on publisher site that are very respectful of the consumer's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen a lot of success there. But, you know, Wonderkin aside, I think what's also a challenge for marketers today is because their ability to target audiences is limited, I think it's going to be increasingly important that they do more to challenge or just put more diversification into their channel mix, yeah. right? Hugely important. Yeah, it's going to be very important. Like SMS we're seeing right now to be increasingly important. I think, look, like SMS marketing's been around for a while i mean you know richard right (laughs) but i think it just became more important during the pandemic when you wanted to have ways that you knew you could reach your audience right away and people were at home and they were browsing their phones and it has like a 98 percent open rate so i think i think sms will continue to be important i think platforms like discovery like tiktok Mm -hmm. will continue to be important but i think really 
honing in on your own channels, especially during turbulent times like this. Like this is first party data that you own. Right. Yeah. So don't, don't be tardy to the first party. That's, Please don't. Uh, that's what I say. Do I do not like people who are tardy. <laughs> so I do think that's going to be really interesting. And since we were talking about our friend Mark, I think I'd be remiss not to talk about um, another interesting aspect of Facebook. Look, it's the number two digital ad seller in the U.S. That's behind right. Google. But where is Facebook placing their focus? Right. That's exactly right. The metaverse, right. <laughs> right? They are not placing their uh, funding or anything behind the things that marketers traditionally use today. Yeah. What um, actually drives value? That actually drives, it's very unproven, right? Like mm -hmm. perhaps we will live in a world where we live in the metaverse, but for now. That was so meta what you just said, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you, Vern. <laughs> but for, I think for now, especially in the economy that we're living in, I'm not as convinced that like leaning into channels like this are a portman investment. But I think for Facebook, it's kind of interesting, right? Like. They are like, they don't own an operating system. So they have a lot of dependencies on uh, companies like Apple who make changes to their platform that directly impact Facebook, right? We all saw that with iOS 14.5, what that did to Facebook's audience sizes. Right. And honestly, probably their stock price. Um, but I think Facebook is using this as a way to like pivot away from some of the things that haven't really performed well. Their platform has had a lot of misinformation. There's been mental health issues. Mm -hmm. There's been issues related to Apple. So, I mean... I don't know, as a marketer, it doesn't necessarily feel like the best channel to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And particularly in relation to audience, like the users on Facebook are rapidly declining right. and it's not even appealing mm. to a younger so, demographic. I, 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 just to add to that, the, the, yeah. the, the piece about the own channels, I think is hugely, hugely important because, you know, you can be uh, seduced into going, look, well, we had such great success with Facebook over the years, um, you know, okay, fine. They might have hit, you know, peak velocity and they might be slowing in terms of user growth and time right. on site and the rest of it. It no longer is the best value for driving customer acquisition. So I may be seduced by going, well, TikTok's just hit a billion users. It's great. Let's go for TikTok. Right. You know, the, the risk of placing all of your eggs in a single basket right. is huge. TikTok could be shut down at any moment yeah. because, because of worries not. about the Chinese government's yeah. ability Absolutely. to access American uh, user data. So, you know, really, I would be using my, diversification is the key. I'd be using as many, many of these channels as I can to try and be, try and be discoverable. Mm -hmm. I'd be driving them to my own channels and I'd be working with uh, suppliers, vendors that Lock can actually in. capture that, identify that traffic, capture it, get it into your own, own channels and then monetize it through your own channels. Mm -hmm. That is the safest thing that you can do mm -hmm. uh, for 2023 moving forward. I think that's great. And I think just to summarize, I think that's great. I think to summarize that the prediction for big tech is... Big tech is kind of being flipped on its head, right? Yeah. Like we talked about ChatGPT, um, Microsoft's doing a $10 billion investment in it, Google's panicking, Facebook's off in the metaverse. So, <laughs> it, you know, it's a time of transformation, even for really big companies. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I think the importance on like really focusing on what's working well for your brand now and harnessing in on like the own yeah. channels that you have that that data and that result you can control is going to be really, I think, really important this year in such a chaotic environment. Big tech isn't going anywhere, no. right? There's there's no question there's no question about it. But yeah. the players and their relative importance are going to shift, yes. and we, none of us have a crystal ball. So invest in your own yes, channels. We, we do. actually do. <laughs> we do. Should, should, should we invest in our own channels? Yeah. Yes. I think that was a resigning <laughs> yes. We should. Many marketers would assume, well, if we all are here on TikTok or on Instagram <laughs> or sending emails or text messages, like it's going to be an oversaturated sandbox. Like how do we uh, stand out? So ultimately, how can brands become discoverable in an oversaturated marketplace? You're so polite. I am, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really means a lot to me that you allow me to answer first. <laughs> um, so I actually think this question's kind of interesting, given some, I, I really just, Mark is my inspiration today, yeah. given some of the changes with Instagram, right? They are scaling down their reliance on the shop platform, right? right. And they're pivoting a lot of their commerce strategy towards ad revenue. Mm -hmm. There's actually a lot of brands that said that they didn't get a lot of the data data insights that they would expect out of a shoppable platform like Instagram. Yeah. But talking about TikTok, TikTok is piloting in-app shopping experiences, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of interesting given not that the two are, they're kind of apples and oranges, right. but, you know, Instagram's pulling back on that type of commerce experience and really trying to drive ads. And TikTok, I actually think, is doing really well with ads. Um, Although I don't think they call them ads. They say make TikToks, not ads, yeah. which yeah. I love. But also trialing out this in-app shopping experience. But the thing about all of this, which I think is also interesting, is TikTok was kind of the shiny toy. And I mm -hmm. think marketers have definitely tried it out. And I think they've seen a lot of success because I think TikTok is an amazing tool for discovery. But I think... 2023 is really going to be a good time to really pause and to really evaluate the channels that mm -hmm. make sense and what's working for you. Like if it's SMS and you've seen a lot of success there, like are you as a brand sending more, like when's the last time you sent like a product update text or sent out a text to your loyal subscribers mm -hmm. to get them to engage because loyalty is really going to be key during these crazy times where a lot of consumers can discover other brands. So there is a little bit of less loyalty there. So um, I think another important thing for brands will be to not let their messaging get stale. Mm -hmm. um, I think you need to keep your consumers engaged during this time. Um, so I definitely think presence on these platforms in terms of discovery and acquisition is certainly important. But as we've been talking about this whole web webinar, it shouldn't replace your own channel strategy. Yeah, and, and just put it in a, in context, um, you know, retailers are going to be spending a lot of money to make themselves discoverable on all of these platforms with advertising spend. It's it's not like the the things are going to go dial back. I mean, in 2023, eMarketer says that U.S. retailers will spend over 50 billion on digital ads, which if you just think in you know a short space of time, that's a 50% projected increase from 2020, 
when many retailers did pull back their spend due to COVID-19. So, you know, we're in a very different environment in 2023. People are going to spend to be discoverable, which brings us back to that other point, which if you're going to spend a vast amount of money on being discoverable on these platforms, when you're driving people to the to your site, yeah. make sure you capture as much of it as you can <laughs> yeah. into your own channels because you don't want to be spending continuously to hit up an audience that is revisiting your site. No, I completely agree. Um, oversaturation in the market is crazy. I mean, I, I even talked about the MarTech landscape mm. that there's 10,000 vendors out there today. But I think loyalty will be another yeah, be huge. huge driver this year. Um I like to say retain is the name of the game. And I don't think, I think that is going to be super true for uh, 2023. Um, Really focusing on keeping your customers loyal and you can use your first party data to help build out those loyalty strategies. Mm -hmm. Um, I think loyalty is also really interesting because 78% of consumers say a good loyalty program is actually what encourages them to purchase. But consumers are tough, right? Um, They will be the first ones to be super critical of your loyalty program. And I don't know if you guys are following along, but there's been some serious backlash of some prime loyalty programs in the market right now. Do tell. Yeah, for example, so Best Buy um, used to have a rewards points program where they gave free shipping. Mm -hmm. In addition to collecting points with every purchase, they gave free shipping after $35. Which, not to discredit Best Buy, but a lot of their stuff is naturally more expensive than $35. So they were essentially giving away free shipping. They've recently pivoted their loyalty program to be free shipping. You don't have to have the minimum threshold, but you have to open a Best Buy credit card, which has created this outrage of Mm -hmm. consumers today of, I can just get these products somewhere else. You're making me open this credit card. So I think it it ties back again to really customer identity, understanding what's important to your audience, because a little shift like that could be very detrimental. And another one um, is Starbucks. So they, I think it's like 54% of their customer base are part of their rewards program. Like, I'm on it. I love me a free thing. (laughs) I really do. I think we all do. Hint, hint, Richard. (laughs) But they recently changed their rewards program that they now you have to spend more in order to get a free coffee or a free food item and people are going nuts. Mm -hmm. But I think the interesting thing is people are going to continue to buy their coffee at Starbucks. But I think it's just being more in tune with your customer base. The the Starbucks loyalty program, when you actually look at the numbers, is insane. It's, I mean, the, the amount of money, because you have to basically with your Starbucks, you, you credit your accounts, you've got the money in there. Yeah. And the amount of money that Starbucks has in that loyalty program, you could be forgiven for thinking that it was a bank, not a coffee supplier. So <laughs> incredible business. It really is. But it's amazing your point around loyalty. Like I, Even a micro change could impact the way in which people see and view your brand. Yeah. And I think a lot of brands are, are going to need to double down on what type of loyalty programs that they offer. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, just like really understanding your consumer base, understanding their needs. I think, I think brands and look, we're here to help. We, we know a lot about loyalty programs and what consumers are interested in. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I think if you don't have one today or you have one in place. It's actually, 
you know, it's kind of an interesting point because people can kind of rush to try and convert Easy. a consumer into a loyalty program before there's any kind of real right. relationship. And so one of the things asking I... Asking for the second date it, it really before is. you get dessert. It, 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 really, <laughs> it, it really is. And, and one of the things I like, I like about kind of what, what Wonderkin is doing with its customers is that because our ID, ID tech allows us to identify mm -hmm. far more of the visitors that come to the site and most importantly, figure out have we seen this individual before? Yeah. Um, and then can not, if we haven't, great, well, let's pop up a capture experience to get their email, their text. That's the first step mm -hmm. is actually just getting that one-to-one -one connection versus, hey, join my loyalty program. I mean, right. there's, there's, yeah. we'll be more efficient at converting people through the life cycle mm -hmm. if we can actually deliver a personalized experience that's well worked in the first one or two, uh, you know, marketing outreaches to that consumer. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully through one or two purchases, we get them into the loyalty program. That's, that's really great. Really and I, I think you guys have offered some great insight. Mm -hmm. I want to wrap up this section really quick by quick shot predictions. What do you, what do you, what do you see? And again, how can brands become discoverable in an oversaturated marketplace? What are your predictions around that point? I'm keeping it simple, and I like my retain is the name of the game, mm -hmm. right? Like, focus on retaining your existing customer base, leverage loyalty programs. Look, you could still use channels like Instagram and TikTok, but again, I think a lot of the points that Richard made is once you drive that traffic to site, leverage the power of actually capturing that consumer Love data it. so you can retarget them on your own. And I will just reinforce that with don't be tardy to the first part. <laughs> <laughs> we love our rhymes no. around no. here. <laughs> Clearly watches Real Housewives of Atlanta. So, that, <laughs> so that's, no. that's, where, that's, that's where that comes from. <laughs> I'll, I'll send I it to you guys. I I just the Jersey housewife by my roots. <laughs> I'm from Georgia, so. That makes sense. Yeah, Our yeah. Roots. yeah. Gotta go, <laughs> go with the housewives where your roots are. Yeah. Are there real housewives of the Another UK? Another recommendation. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. There isn't. There's a, there's a lot of reality TV. Oh, you guys have Harry, Harry and Meghan. That's what uh, you, we have. We have the royal family. You, you got the royal family. That's what yeah, you got. Who needs? You win. Who needs? <laughs> More drama. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have enough. You win. I want to go to the final prediction. I know we're almost at the end of the, the webinar. Before we okay. wrap this up, I do want to call out the fact that we do have uh, a white paper that was recently released, Wonder Predicts, Marketing Trends That Will Shape 2023. You can actually go to wonderkent.co to our resources page to find that uh, predictions white paper. It's absolutely incredible. If you feel like you've gotten a lot of value from our conversation, you'll get even more from this incredible white paper. Yeah, so please. Lots of stats and fa facts. So yes. It's yeah. uh, well worth downloading. All the jokes and are here. All, all the jokes. stats and facts are. And I promise it was not created by chat GPT. It was not. It was not. <laughs> Impressive if it was. I know, right? <laughs> so the final prediction, the final question of the hour is post-holiday momentum. Mm. The takeaways around, around that. What are opportunities for retailers to continue the momentum they see or they saw during the holiday season throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, I will naturally go first. Go for it. <laughs> I know my place. Resident next play. Um, yeah, no, I, I love this question mostly because it's super relevant to some conversations I was having yeah. with brands recently. But, you know, despite 
all of the economic concerns and there were a lot of doom and gloom headlines. Look, I was feeling the pressure. I feel like all of us were where we work in an e-commerce environment. Um, there was a 4% increase in spend this cyber week compared to last year, right? So, Which, which is amazing considering crazy. what cyber week was in 2021 it, with the acceleration of e-commerce in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, we were feeling the 2020 vibes, mm. which I think a lot of people weren't expecting no, that type of right. momentum. And then we're continuing to see an increase year over year. Um, something interesting too, I thought, post-holiday were, I think for the period, like two weeks after Cyber Week, brands were continuing to offer discounts. I think it was up like 11% globally yeah. um, of brands offering discounts compared to last year, which meant they were still trying to engage those last minute shoppers with tactics to get them to convert, which, you know, I think is another tactic that is good for post-holiday. Um, but when I was saying I was having a conversation with a brand the other day, it was a very large retailer. I won't say which one it was, but we were reflecting on holiday. We were reflecting on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and, you know, all of us around here kind of do uh, a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. But then we're on to the next thing, right? And I was talking to this retailer who was saying, you know, like for us, it's back to school. Right. And I was kind of reflecting on like, oh, these like pivotal moments for brands, right? For florists, it's Mother's Day, it's Valentine's Day. Exactly. For apparel brands, it's related to seasonality. Um, in the US, President's Day is like a big furniture thing, right. right? So there's all of these key marketing moments that so many brands spend so much time focusing around. Like even a lot of the brands we work with here at Wonderkin, Cyber, like Black Friday, Cyber Monday accounted for like 50% of their revenue. Right. Wow. Just, it's so wild. But having this conversation, it kind of got me to think about like, how do marketers create more of these moments mm -hmm. throughout the year? And I think that's something that's going to be extremely key in 2023 when there's so much uncertainty that, you know, you said this before about not putting all your eggs in one basket. It, that for a lot of brands, some of these marketing moments are putting all of your eggs in one basket. So, um, again, I think back to being creative thinkers, you can still use chat GBT, but um, I think 2023 will really be the year of being creative in how you engage with your consumers. And, you know, I think based off our unique, diverse client base and the amount of data we have, I think partners like Wonderkin can really help with that, with creating more of those moments. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. Yeah, and I think the, the the reality is, and it's somewhat an unfortunate reality, but it is a reality that in 2023, in times of uh, recession, you know, consumers want those discounts and it's not just at Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Yeah. So I think we are going to have to prepare as retailers to think through pricing strategies that allow us to, to have those hooks of incentives as much as possible throughout the year to encourage that buying behavior. And it, I, you know, when we looked at the data around consumer attitudes and we saw that although, you know, 50% of them were cutting back on uh, some level of uh, spending of non-essential goods, but we also saw that a huge chunk, roughly the same, was actually going to be spending more online. I think a lot of that is to do with looking around at 
what pro what what brands are offering discounts what the yeah. what the benefits of the loyalty programs are so people are shopping around for deals and i think more so in 2023 marketers are going to have to embrace that if they want to capture market share yeah i think that's a great point uh, related to discounts because that is a big reason why people shop during the holiday are those discounts but i think in the sense of this moment thing I'm having right now, like engaging them with more personalized messages mm. with invitations mm. to their loyalty program. I think just capturing more ways to engage your customer base. And, and triggering smart offers based on, yeah. right, we can see that that person was looking at this category on our website. Let's send them a, 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 an offer for that category. Or they, you know, abandon that search on our website. Perhaps that's an offer, an opportunity to get an offer in front of them abandoned cart flows. I think all of these things in 2023 yep. will be more important given the fact that consumers are shopping for, for deals. Yeah. And just like a closing thought here is mm -hmm. when times are good, no one feels like they really have to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. But when times are tough, that's when you really have to stand out. And yeah. there's going to be less customers to go after when people are tightening their spend. So really, you have to make your marketing efforts count. And again, that's where partners like us are here to help. That's phenomenal. So, so final predictions for post-holiday momentum. Shoot. Am I allowed to say moments again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really, it just got me thinking. And th this brand said the exact same thing, too, is like, where are there more moments to connect with my audience outside of mm. these days that sometimes in marketing land, we get bogged down by our calendar, right? Yeah, and, you know, if, if anything, the last couple of years have taught us is just we, we have to think outside the box. And I think connecting with your consumers, getting first party data that they share with you voluntarily is, is ultimately going to help you be very strategic in terms of engagement, even if that doesn't mean you offer them an incentive or um, ask them to be part of your loyalty program, but it keeps them engaged and it keeps them top of mind. And when there's so much saturation in the market, mm -hmm. that's really important. Yeah, yeah, that's great. For me, it's just doubling down on, you know, behavioral technology and data to deliver the best possible hook to get somebody to purchase at mm -hmm. the right time. It's going to be those that can be the smartest with their use of digital marketing yeah. that are going to, are going to win. Cause we saw from the stats, you know, e-commerce is, it is still on a wave um, and it's still growing sure. and we see huge success with things like Black Friday, Cyber Monday. It's up to us as marketers to create more of those moments. So yeah. I agree with Megan on that. Absolutely phenomenal. Yay. Guys, I can't thank you enough for <laughs> so all of the insight that you added. I think we have a little time left on the clock. I do want to go to Q&A. I want to look at the chat to see if there are any questions. Sure. I think we only have time for, for one or two. Uh, one second. Let me take a look. Chats GPT. Do you have questions <laughs> for Megan and Richard? You totally should ask that. Okay, here's one. Uh, what should marketers be thinking about and implementing right now? Right now, now? Like right, like now. I think they should be downloading the predictions uh, white paper. Boom. 
I agree with that. Sorry for the fluffy answer, but <laughs> do that. Let's I agree. See. There's a lot of good content. That's in a there. lot. I think I got one more. And honestly, we've talked about it a lot, but implementing, if you don't already, which I would find it crazy to believe, but a first-party data strategy, considering right. all the changes in the market, like yeah. that is absolutely critical. And I think... Uh, there's no time like the present. So love it. Yeah. Uh, the last one I have here, is, you know, just 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 on that point. Yeah, yeah. If you really think about the amount of money that we're spending on all of these platforms, Zuckerberg, TikTok, all the rest no of it, money. we're spending huge amounts of money to drive traffic to our sites. Ninety-five percent of that traffic doesn't purchase, and yeah. it was very expensively driven. Thinking through how you can take Absolutely. that 95% and actually get more value from it, mm -hmm. that comes back to that efficiency point that we talked about right at the beginning with recessions. Concentrate on that. Folks like one can connect. That's a, that's a perfect um, response because the very next question is how can brands create more revenue out of a smaller budget? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah and, and that is, that's you know, it. that's it. That's the efficiency mm -hmm. piece. I agree. You've already spent to drive that traffic, convert more of it. Yeah. at least into your email database, capture their text message, be able to connect with them based on their behavior, what they actually did on that site. If you're not doing those things, you're just spending the money to drive the traffic of which 95% doesn't, uh, doesn't purchase. You know, that is hemorrhaging cash. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Thank Richard you. Jones, Megan Krasinski, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Um, and C3PO. C3PO and R2D2, who are our two all-time most favorite artificial intelligence sentient beings. <laughs> who will always love them. They will always be in our heart. Guys, I want you to take an opportunity after this to watch the replay. It'll be available for you on wonderkent.co. I also want you to, again, check out the webinar that's coming up. Again, we're going to be sitting down with Abron Maldonado, who is the co-founder of Create Lab. It's uh, a conversation that it's we're going incredible. to... I, I cannot. He is one of the preeminent founders, one of the original guys to get under the hood of chat GTP and work his magic and like the insights that he's been able to discover. We're going to talk a lot about that in our conversation. So please tune in for that. And then finally, as Rich said, please go and download the Wonderkin Predictions white paper for 2023. It's filled with so much great information, stats and content, and you will be certain to get a lot of value out of that. Again, thank you so much, Richard. Thank you so Thanks, much, man. Megan. Thank you. Hopefully we will see you guys again next time. Have a good one. Take care.